You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop, the show that's a little bit of everything with a K-Pop twist. Visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com for more information about the show. That's 17-C-A-R-A-T-K-P-O-P.weebly.com. Enjoy the show! I have a lot I want to talk about on the show, as well as play a bunch of K-Pop music every week. Um, there's so many facets of the K-pop industry that I'm fascinated by, and many other people I'm sure also are. So I'm going to be talking about a lot of the group's formations, how the whole training program works for the creation of these K-pop groups. I'm going to be talking about their, their how their shows and their fandoms differ from others, and talk about the ones that kind of stand out to me and why. I want to talk about the reasons why I think K-pop is suddenly exploding in popularity all over the world, and has for many years, but really especially the past few years. Uh, I want to talk about kind of the history and how all this got started. I want to talk about kind of the differences between the boy groups and girl groups and what that really means and double standards and things like that. So I'll talk about a lot of serious issues. But I also want to just have fun with it and introduce a new audience to K-pop. So before I get into more detail for today's show, I'm just going to start right off the bat with a few songs. I'm going to play one from a boy group, one from a girl group, and one from a co-ed group, and then I'm going to discuss them. September, so this is perfect. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to 17 Karat K-pop, and I'm Hope, here with a bunch of stuff. We have a lot to cover. So... First of all, the first song I played was um, from a K-pop boy band. That song was called Miro by Stray Kids. Miro, M-I-R-O-H. It means maze in French. And Stray Kids is, in my totally obviously impartial opinion, one of the best bands of all time. And they are really... I think what they're doing is very revolutionary. So let me back up a little. So... K-pop is really less of a genre and more of an industry. So what happens is people who want to audition, there's sometimes global auditions, but a lot of them actually travel to Korea for the audition. And then they are kind of cast. It's almost like an audition process for like a Broadway show. And they get cast um, and then put together with other people in a group, usually. Sometimes there are reality shows that put them in a group. Sometimes there are straight-up audition formats used. Um, But that's typically how they form. And so Stray Kids did form on a reality show called Stray Kids. Um, But what was interesting about that is when you go there, it's essentially like a boarding school as you're training to debut in a group. Um, And so actually the leader, Banchan, he was with with JYP Entertainment for a long time. Um, Sometimes it only takes like two months of training, but he was there for years. Um, but he finally basically got to take the reins, and so he helped create Stray Kids. He was he was the one who created the group. He got to pick each of the nine members, and so that's another thing to know about K-pop. The groups are typically very big. Around seven people is the average, and so they're, they're really doing some incredible things. So that was called Miro, and the second one was from, uh, again, in my very impartial opinion, one of the best girl groups of all time, TWICE. And that was What Is Love, which is definitely their biggest hit. Um, they, are, they also uh, were formed on a show for JYP Entertainment. So clearly, JYP Entertainment is worth checking out. Um, then there was Card, K-A-R-D, with Don't Recall. That is one of the uh, few co-ed groups you'll see in K-pop. And there are a couple reasons for that. One of them being that um, 
it really helps with um, marketing, at least in Korea, when they I, when they use a concept that is considered for the boy groups or for the girl groups. And I'll get a lot more into that in future episodes about the differences in why they're there or why they shouldn't be there. I'll discuss it later. But um, but they are do- Card is really doing a lot of, a lot of great stuff. They're from a smaller label, actually, not one of the main labels. So they don't get a lot of promotional opportunities like the other groups. Um, but they really deserve more credit. And they are they they really have a it's it's really interesting. They started out training, and two of them were going to debut as a rap duo, but. Uh, plans changed and end up being two girls and two boys in a group together. Um, they kind of ranged. One of them was only training for two months and one was five years. So it, it depends. Some people are training for a long time and then they debut. One of them actually debuted, and this is not abnormal in the industry, debuted technically once as part of a different girl group. And then she was on a reality show to join a different girl group, but she didn't win. And then she was, then she got put in cards. So she technically is on her second debut, they would say. Um, so that, anyway, so uh, I find that very interesting. And also how a lot of uh, songwriters who work in the K-pop industry write a song with a girl group or a boy group in mind that they want to sing it. So that's why groups like Card don't have, don't release music as often and don't get the same promo bec- because of it, because they have to reach, instead of songwriters clamoring to write for them, they have to reach up to the songwriters and say, can you write a co-ed song? So it's interesting. And I'll talk a lot more about this in future episodes. Today, I'm really kind of doing just an overview of a bunch of topics, and I'll go in, in depth into each one later on. So anyway, um, another thing to know about K-pop, uh, to kind of better understand it, is that groups do not, because they have so many members, do not necessarily have release music all the time with every member so sometimes they split off into like subunits and so a subunit will be promoting the group while other people in the group will do their acting jobs or they um they do a different subunit thing whatever um so i'm gonna play a few examples of subunits and one is not but i'll explain more later and kind of the thoughts behind why they do that more in depth after this that was, so those, first of all, um, the first song that I played out of those three, it's called Hey Mama. It's by one of the EXO subunits, EXO CBX is what they go by. Um, the second one was Favorite by Luna, and the third was Superhuman by NCT127. So, a little background here. Um, so EXO CBX is three of the currently nine members of EXO, and they, they started out with more members. I will go into that drama a lot more in depth on a different episode but anyway so that was one of their subunits and nct uh same thing what's really interesting about nct is the the amount of members that join is not ending and it really i mean people joke about it in the fandom a lot but really it's like i mean there are rumors they're gonna have like 40 50 members eventually and they basically their goal the so they're from SM Entertainment. SM Entertainment is one of the big companies. They promote uh, their groups a lot overseas, all over the world. And you've probably heard of NCT, even if you don't think so. They have a song on the radio with Jason Derulo, um, and they um, you know their their merch is 
and like hot topic and stuff so they're they're out there in the u.s for sure and the the concept of yeah i will go into the concept a lot more in future episodes because it's a lot but basically right now they have a uh, nct china which goes by a different name wavy um nctu nct dream nct 127 nct 2018 was kind of everyone but i you could also consider it a subunit because it wasn't the whole group now that they added nct china anyway there are a lot of members and it keeps expanding so it's really exciting to see where that goes and so uh then the other group that i was going to explain what i meant by they're not really a subunit is luna so luna basically debuted over the course of a few years so it they had a really interesting rollout strategy and instead of just a group debuting when everyone was ready they debuted one person at a time and each person got to debut a few solo songs with solo music videos and things like that and then at the end of this huge build-up to seeing the whole group together then they all did come together and um and then all 12 members started releasing music together and that company definitely i hope more people go support it um it's only 15 women running the whole company it's an all-woman-led company just 15 people, but trust me, the aesthetics in those music videos and the in-sync choreography, they deserve so much more credit. I could rant a whole lot more about that, but I think people care more about other, other artists, so I'll, I'll move on. But anyway, so those were some of the subunits. And so to clarify why there are subunits, part of it is just to help keep the music out there. So a lot of K-pop artists... Um, want to keep their name out there and release a lot of EPs or singles. They call them mini albums, not EPs. But, you know, small bits of music at a time. So getting a full-length album is not rare, but compared to the United States, I guess it is. And so it it helps. So let's say XOCBX just dropped an EP, or mini album, excuse me, then they can go promote that while they're, they're teasing and building up the release of XOKs um or xosc's new ep or single or whatever so it, it helps with name ne- name recognition and keeps the fans excited for new releases which also is one of the reasons i'll get into later why i think k-pop is so popular right now because it is a streaming era so singles are more important than ever so a lot of artists want to release singles they want to stay on the spotify new playlist with a new single every week and that's very similar to the mindset behind the k-pop industry so anyway, so a, a few other reasons why sometimes they don't de- they don't have all members promoting at once is because in Korea you are required to enlist in the military for two years, and so when some members do the usually they try to stagger them so that a few members do their re- uh, required military time and not the whole group at once. So again, with the name recognition and keep their faces out there. Um, you know, there are other reasons. I'll get into a lot more specific drama about who leaves the groups and why and what happens behind the scenes in other episodes, but a lot happens. The group members can change. Some groups um, disband. Some groups stay together for a very, very long time. Some groups alternate members. There's a lot to get into, but I'll get into that later. Um, the next thing I want to basically preview that I'll be talking more about in the future is pointing out that k-pop is not all kind of what i've played already it's not at that's why i say it's an industry more than a genre because there really are a lot of r&b artists rap artists ballad singers uh, rock artists um bands that play their own instruments 
So there really, there really is quite a variety of sounds you'll get in the genre, so to stereotype it all as just bubblegum pop is not accurate. So, and even just the concepts and messages, if they think it's all cutesy or whatever, it's not. So, uh, and I'll get into social commentary of songs in a different episode, but, but the point is I want to show that there is definitely a lot of variety and a lot of crossovers with um, artists who are uh, fr- Western artists and... So you've probably heard more than you think. Anyway, so the next three I'm going to play are examples of the different array of messages and songs and concepts that you can get from K-pop. Anyway, so uh, those three that I just played, first up was Dance Dance by Day6. They are their own, they're their own band. They play their own instruments and everything. Um, the second one was Bad Boy by Red Velvet. And the third was If You're Over Me, which is by Years and Years who are actually from Europe, um, but that was a collaboration they did with Ki, who's from a K-pop band called Shiny, and so Ki added the Korean verse in there, and that is becoming more common. You'll, uh, At least I've heard it on the radio quite a bit. Like I said, NCT 127 did the Jason Derulo collab. Um, Blackpink has worked with Dua Lipa. It continues to happen. Red Velvet just worked with Ellie Goulding. So it, it continues to become more popular to see Korean verses in songs on the radio in the United States, which I think is really cool. And so something else I want to summarize a little is I want to clarify what I think might be questions because to me, I've been so invested in the world of K-pop for so long that I kind of forget um, that a lot of it is so different compared to the Western music industry that I'm like speaking gibberish to people who don't know much about it. So I just want to give a little more background. So this industry, I mean, you could argue that it's been around for way longer considering, you know, the history of just music in general all over the world. But technically, people kind of say that K-pop started kind of around late nine or late 80s, early 90s um, with the founding of SM Entertainment. And then actually in 92 was a big change. That's when groups really started to incorporate English verses and English words into their songs. That's also when dance became a big thing. You'll see, that's why I say I have to clarify sometimes that a band plays their own instruments because that actually is not super common um, because dance is such a big part of K-pop songs. That's why a lot of it is high tempo and everything. So 1992 is when that really started happening and bands started incorporating the English words and the dance moves that are fun to try to copy at least. And that all really helped, I think, uh, with the appeal all over the world over time. And 1992 was also significant because that was a year, I won't get too much into history here, but um, it was a year of big reform in South Korea. And so the previous censorship on music in other media was pretty much lifted. Um, and I'll get into that a lot more in another episode. But yeah, so 1992 was a big year for K-pop. Um, 1996 is when... Um, K-pop started breaking through in China. Um, then about then the big three companies started getting formed only a year or two after each other. 96, 97, 98, SM, JYP, YG. Again, I feel like these I use these terms all the time. I forget people for people. Uh, not everyone uses these terms every day. But anyway, so the point is that um, around the turn of the century is when this stuff really started going global. The early 2000s is when BOA um, broke into the Japanese market and Bo has done a lot for the industry. I will rant about her another time, but 
look her up. And so, um, the early 2000s already, there was some attention given in the United States to K-pop. I know uh, a singer named Rain, he's from JYP Entertainment, he um, toured in the 2000s here. Uh, one of the other first groups to tour here was Wonder Girls. They opened up for the Jonas Brothers, actually. Um, they're also from JYP. Yeah, there's a theme here, I guess. And uh, obviously people heard of Gangnam Style, and that really got a lot of people interested in 2012. Um, but there's obviously a lot more to the genre than that. Um, and then, yeah, and so it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And now, you know, you have K-pop acts selling out stadiums. So it's it's really blossomed, and I'll go into more specifics as to why I think that's the case. And why now, as opposed to a few years ago or a decade ago, because this has been around so long, why so sudden does it seem like K-pop is everywhere? I'll go into that more um, in the future, but it really has, I mean, now that it's about like $5 billion, this, the K-pop industry is worth, so it's really, it's really, it's really crazy, but in a, the best way. So <clears throat> anyway, um, I have a few uh, follow-up thoughts, but first I just want to play um, a song from, uh, one of my favorite solo artists, uh, his name is Eric Nam, and he, um, had a very interesting story where he basically was in Georgia, but he had to go to South Korea just to, you know, just to, um, break into the K-pop market. So there's a lot, um, that I find interesting about that, that I want to talk about in the future, and hopefully in the future when we can get guests on the show... Um, we can talk more about that with people who um, understand the, the positive impact and can express the positive impact that all this, well, I mean, there, there's still a long way to go in Hollywood, but Asian representation in the media, I do feel like is um, is not where it should be, but better than it used to be. Um, and so I just wonder if in the future, um, the K-pop industry will not need as many people from the United States to fly there just to make it in the music industry they can make in the music in music industry without having to go to asia and so that will be interesting to see how that affects the future of k-pop so anyway so um yeah this is eric nam runaway <laughs> 